The Flight Deck is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you to the donors who sustain the Museum of Flight. To support this podcast and the museum's other educational initiatives, visit museumofflight.org slash podcast. Hello and welcome to The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. I'm your host, Sean Mobley, and I am so excited to be saying those words again. They're a long time coming. You might have noticed the podcast has been on hiatus for a couple of years, but I am so glad to be back in the saddle. So thrilled to be doing this podcast again and bringing you stories once more from the Museum of Flight. Now, with this relaunch of the podcast comes a little bit of a shift in how we're going to be doing episodes. So previously, podcast episodes have kind of bounced around between topics. They've been great episodes, great topics, but they haven't been really curated in any particular way, except I've made sure that we've balanced different perspectives, different voices, and also talked about both air and space, try not to focus on one more than the other because we are an air and space museum. But like I said, they haven't really been organized in any particular way. Starting with this episode, we're reformatting and creating podcast seasons. Just like TV shows have seasons, now the flight deck is going to have seasons. And in each season, which will be made up of somewhere between 5 and 10 episodes, we're going to be focusing on a specific theme. And all the podcast episodes in that season are going to look at that theme from different points of view, different ways of investigating the topic. So I'll use the Tuskegee Airmen for example. In the past we've had an episode on the Tuskegee Airmen, which were black pilots who flew aircraft for the US military during World War II. Most of our podcast episodes are 10-15 minutes long, which doesn't really leave a lot of time to learn about the topic besides just a very surface level understanding, a very kind of college 101 (laughs) if that level of understanding about the topic. I have, in the future, an entire Tuskegee Airmen season that we're working on, where we'll have a couple of different episodes that let us dive in into much more detail with different researchers, different people, about what led to the Tuskegee Airmen. What impact did the Tuskegee Airmen have on the civil rights movement long after World War II was finished? What were some of the lesser known stories about the Tuskegee Airmen that really don't get a lot of airtime because normally people only get that surface level conversation. I'm really excited about how this new format is going to let us tell stories from aerospace better than ever. And I can't wait to get started. So we're going to get started right now with season two of the podcast. Everything before this, I guess, is season one. But with this season, we're going behind the scenes with Curator on the Loose. Now, Curator on the Loose is a web series from the Museum of Flight, a TV series where our senior curator, Matthew Burchett, takes viewers into parts of the aviation industry that they normally wouldn't get to see. We've gone to the Boeing Transonic Wind Tunnel, which is normally very off limits. We've gone along on medevac flights and even some things I can't talk about yet because the episode isn't out yet, but it was really, really cool. In in that show, Matthew Burchett interviews very interesting people, but often we have to 
cut those interviews down for size or sometimes cut them out of the episode altogether because we just didn't have space for them in the flow of the episode, which means that there's a lot of very good content that no one's ever going to get to see. So I thought, this is the opportunity. Let's get these interviews, the full interviews, unedited, and put them out there as this next season of the podcast. And so that's what we're doing. Today's episode is from when we visited the aircraft rescue and firefighting crew here on Boeing Field, King County International Airport, where the Museum of Flight is located. Now, you might not know, airports have their own specialized firefighter crews. And they were very generous with us, took us all around their station, took us out in their trucks, showed us how everything works. And that's what we're going to be listening to today. We have a couple of interviews One that was completely cut from the episode, which talks about the connection that the Boeing Field Fire Station has with a very famous aircraft. And then another one that was very, very condensed. I think only like two minutes of the 10 minute interview ended up in the final episode, really about the operations side of the station. The interview is with firefighter Kirk Rain, so thank you, Kirk, for being so generous with your time and so knowledgeable. And with that, let's turn it over to Matthew and Kirk for the interviews. So the building is dedicated to, uh, dedicated to uh, a Seattle firefighter, um, Luther Bonner. Uh, the reason uh, we dedicated the building to him is that in 1943, as it kind of explains here, um, uh, XB-29, uh, experimental version of what later became the B-29, um, was taken off uh, from Boeing Field here and had some problems and ended up crashing into a, uh, some sort of packing plant up in Georgetown. So uh, his station got sent to uh, deal with that. So that was Mr. Bonner's, Firefighter Bonner's uh, first day on the job. And uh, when they got there, uh, him and the fire chief uh, went to a different location than where the other firefighters were, uh, I guess to assess what was going on. They never returned. And uh, when uh, other firefighters went out to search for him, they found the fire chief unconscious outside. And when he came to, they said that he said that uh, firefighter Bonner was still in the building and unfortunately had perished um, due to toxic gases of some sort. So, uh, and then the backside of the story is is that uh, uh, the Seattle Fire Association, Firefighter Association, was trying to put together a list of names of uh, where their fallen firefighters were buried at. They had him on the list, but they had no idea where he had been buried. So a search kind of went out and they ended up finding his gravesite at uh, one of the cemeteries where a lot of the uh, Seattle firefighters were, but his burial site was totally separate from all the others mm-hmm. and had kind of been overgrown. So with that, they were able to locate that and, and set up his uh, site more honorably wow. than what it is now. So uh, even though he wasn't in itself a, uh, our firefighter here, um, he is uh, one of our only deaths that has contributed to an aircraft accident that happened from here. And what you may not know is that the same crash took the life of Eddie Allen, which was a, he was the 
one of the main test pilots for Boeing, and that's a name that you will hear associated with the B-29 a lot. So it actually ties this story in quite well. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's really his, tragic. His daughter at the time, who was 15 months, uh, is still alive, living no over in eastern Washington. So uh, when we did the dedication, she and other family members were able to attend. Oh, that's great. Hey, this is a great view. Yeah, gives us a majority view of the entire airport from here. Um, so we can kind of see what's happening. Uh, if we get a call of any type, or even we can watch the aircraft ourselves come in and take off and land. And sometimes we can even identify a problem before we even get notified oh, by wow. the control tower. And uh, we can start going back down to the trucks and uh, Get ready to respond on our own. If so, we need to. what is this area actually called? Do you guys have a nickname for it, or has it got an official name? Uh, we call it the cab, um, just because it's kind of like the control center or nerve center for our particular operation. So it's almost like the cab of the control tower, which is actually right up there. Correct. Yep. Man, you got everybody is in a very central location here. That's got to help out. Oh yeah, it helps out with communication and just being able to reach out to each other. Um, and sometimes they'll come down. Uh, we do have a fitness center in the building, so we exercise on a regular business or on a regular basis, and uh, they'll come down and we offer it to their, their use as well. So that's awesome. Um, so we were talking earlier, and you were saying that you guys have to be anywhere on the airfield in like three minutes. Correct. So the FAA has a requirement that uh, we should be able to respond to, essentially they call it the midpoint of the airfield uh, within three minutes with the first uh, fire truck. Um, and we get tested on that on an annual basis by the FAA itself to make sure we can meet that requirement. Um, in this particular case, we are at the midfield point right now. So uh, for our abilities, we test ourselves to make sure we can get to either end of the airport uh, within that three minute period. How far is it down to the to the end of the runway? So roughly the airport's about two miles long so essentially a mile okay, in either mile direction. Either direction. Mm -hmm. So if you if you were to get a call now would there be one person that stays up here to kind of direct things or kind of get eyes on things or is this manned all the time? Um, no, it, uh, so our minimum staffing requirements are uh, two people on duty. We try to keep it to three at any given point. Sometimes there might be uh, more of us here, just kind of depending, because we do have uh, two other deputies who perform other duties as well. We have a training officer, we have a f uh, fire inspector as well. So they could be here as well, in addition to the three of us that are here for response purposes. Um, so it kind of depends um, based on this call. We'll, either all of us will go or if the opportunity arises, we might assign one person to stay here to kind of help coordinate any type of resources. So a typical crew is only three firefighters? Correct. That seems really lean to me. <laughs> it can be at times. So uh, we have a program set up. Uh, we call it a mutual aid program. So we have uh, uh, agreements made with uh, the South King County Fire Group uh, called Zone 3. And uh, depending on the type of call that we have, 
they will uh, send additional resources to the airport to help out. If you don't know it, the museum is literally like right over my left shoulder. So we get to see all the cool planes that come in here. And one of them is a UPS like L-1011. It's a monster. So say they come in and they've got an issue. Are you going to roll just your one rig? Are you going to roll both your rigs? Are you going to call in resources? Or does it kind of depend on what you're, you're up against? Yeah, it will depend upon what the uh, pilot reports to the control tower and what the control tower tells us might be going on. So if it's something really, really minor, it'll be just, uh, could be just one truck and who our incident commander or equivalent to a battalion chief. If it's something significant that affects the operation of the uh, aircraft, then that's something more that will send more resources to just to kind of be ready. Um, so pretty much all, everything we have here will go and uh, we'll also let the uh, dispatch center know that, hey, we need additional resources. And so we have a mutual aid agreement that uh, the departments from uh, South King County Fire Group will uh, send additional uh, assets, fire trucks, ladders, whatever the case may be. And uh, they'll go to a pre-designated area and kind of stage in case we need to use those. Oh. Um, if the aircraft lands safely without any further issue, then we'll just go ahead and cancel them so they can handle their calls and uh, we'll go ahead and take care of it ourselves. This just popped into my head. Now those guys don't have the same specialized training that you guys do though. Correct. Yeah, they're what we call structure firefighters. Right. They're, they kind of just deal with houses or commercial buildings and things like that. Um, we have specialized aircraft type uh, training as well as the mm -hmm. structure themselves. So, um, so yeah, they're, they're kind of don't have that, but uh, this particular group I know are wanting to learn more about that. And we've been oh. providing them with some outside training as well to get familiar. Uh, they are responsible though for like Renton Airport and the airport down in Auburn because those two airports don't have a, a, a unit like this. So oh, they, they become the primary responder. So they do have a little bit of aircraft training, but they don't go to like an aircraft firefighting school or anything. Okay. Like so one of the things I was, I got to admit, I was a little bit shocked when you said you've only got a crew of three. Um, but that goes back to an earlier conversation that I was having about how this airport is an index A. A. And that relates directly to the amount of passenger traffic? Correct. So there's five different indexes with uh, the FAA identifies an airport with, A, B, C, D, and E. SeaTac uh, Airport, it would be an index E. It has a lot of passenger traffic going on, a uh, large volume of air, aircraft type traffic. So they're at the highest level, which means they have to have more people on duty. They have to have more aircraft fire trucks available and things of that nature. We are an index A, which is at the lower end because uh, the only passenger service we have is uh, Kenmore Air. Mm. And uh, nine people at the most <laughs> yeah. for scheduled traffic. And that's kind of what it's based off of is this amount of scheduled passenger traffic that you have. So uh, we're given index A, but as you can see, we have several large aircraft here and uh, 
we just don't have a large passenger type aircraft system, but we have a lot of potential burning fuel, so, yeah, no so we try to staff up a little bit. So let's, let's take a hypothetical. Let's say Iron Maiden is flying in with Ed Force One, and their entire 747 is just jam-packed with the, the band and all their roadies and all the hangers-on that come with that band. Are you guys going to still remain uh, an A, or are you going to get bumped up a level or two? So Index A only requires one firefighter, one truck. So we are already staffed up to what we call an index C level. Um, and uh, so that's usually where that could potentially come in play at. Uh, Boeing has a, a private fire department as well that's co-located here on the airport. They also have aircraft uh, fire trucks as well, similar to ours. So we will reach out to them and they kind of become our quasi mutual joint type operational thing and we can use them for uh, assistance if necessary as well as they can call out to us and we can go assist nice. them as well. So, so I'm kind of looking around what is most of this just communications gear in here? Yeah I got our computer systems here that we can uh, uh, keep track of what we do. Uh, these two are also sheriff's office uh, computers as well so we have all the okay. law enforcement databases that we can access here can, as well can you run a plate for me I could but I can't <sighs> okay that could uh, result in my being terminated mm. all right. well, <laughs> I don't know. there might be a Benjamin in there for you um, that would definitely be a termination <laughs> <laughs> well can we go take a look at some of these some or some of the other equipment that you guys are using because as we came in, there are two very large trucks down there that I'm really itching to like check out. Sure, let's go take a look. Yes, thank you. <laughs> is it living up to your expectations, oh, yeah. or is it just like, it's, oh my god? It's like it's like I've been watching a YouTube video. <laughs> so do I need to get my like my my actor your, guild card? Yeah, or something? You yeah, your SAG card. Thank you for tuning into this episode of The Flight Deck, the podcast of the Museum of Flight in Seattle, Washington. If you like the audio from this episode, make sure you go check out the actual video episode of Curator on the Loose that this was drawn from. You can head to YouTube and you can find the show there. If you just go to YouTube and search for Museum of Flight, you'll find us there. Or you can head to the show notes for this episode, museumofflight.org slash podcast. Click on the show notes and I'll have a link directly to the YouTube video right there. That way you don't have to go searching for it. And while you're on YouTube, we are putting out new episodes of Curator on the Loose all the time. So make sure you subscribe to us there. That way you can see the new episodes as soon as they drop. We've got some outstanding places that we visited that will be coming out over the next couple months. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you downloaded us from. You can also make a donation to the podcast at museumofflight.org podcast and click the yellow donate button. You can contact the show at podcast at museumofflight.org. Love to hear what you think about this new format. 
And until next time, this is your host, Sean Mobley, saying to everyone out there on that good earth, we'll see you out there, folks.